I am always excited to hear about the Generosity Project. Some of you have heard me say that I like to think about painting our church purple. And by that I mean that I would love the response that people would have to things happening at Community West to be, they're doing what? That's what I would love the response to be, that we're not a church that sort of falls into the familiar grooves of churches that are doing the same thing in all the same seasons, but we would be doing things that would be unexpected and would cause that kind of response. And I think in a pay-as-you-go world, to give away something absolutely free of charge evokes that response. And we also think it's pre-evangelistic when you receive something absolutely free, it makes a space in your heart to receive the free gift of God in Jesus Christ. And so we think that we're, we're, we're witnessing uh, even as we participate in these events. So we call these an all-in, and that means that we hope everybody will make plans to be a part of our great pumpkin giveaway and our Christmas tree giveaway. Last week we started our new sermon series, The Good Life, where we're re-envisioning the good life in the story of God. Now, many of us live in the suburbs, and I'm sort of passionate about the suburbs, and in the suburbs, there is an undercurrent of the good life. Are you living the good life? Now, the original narrative was 2.5 children, a white picket fence, a two-car garage. That, that, uh, everybody has their own version of that. Maybe your, your version of the good life is a second home or maybe early retirement. But the point is, is that there is this thing in the air, I think, in the suburbs of are you living the good life? And the unspoken promise in the suburban narrative of the good life is that you too can live the happy and fulfilled life. But as we said last week, and I'd love for you to take your worship guide out and just look at the front, and you can see the graphic. It's a picture of the suburbs, and you can see a shadow of the good life pressed down into the rooftops. The suburban narrative is a shadow reality for lots of reasons. See, the truth for us is, the truth is that the good life is the life not that we have, but that somebody else has, right? It's the life that somebody you see on Facebook has. Or it's the life not that we have, but it's the life that we will have when we get to the next stage. There's always this sort of mythical imagining that we will get to a place where we'll really have the good life. And it's also true that even people who so-called get the good life, you know, don't really experience it that way. I've never heard anybody get to the top of the corporate ladder and say, my cup is full now. Have all the meaning and the purpose and the happiness and the fulfillment that I need. I've never heard anybody get to retirement and say, I have the good life now. I have everything my soul really desires. And I've never heard anybody, I've never heard, you know, why are successful business people serving in prisons and serving the poor? They're still looking for meaning. I've never heard a wealthy person get to the point where he or she says, now I have enough. 
it's, it's a mirage. And so it's a shadow reality in the suburbs. And so we're trying to say in this series, um, not that the good life is wrong or unattainable, but there is a good life and it's not found in the suburban narrative, it's found in the story of God. So in this graphic, there's another version hovering above the shadow reality and it's more solid and substantial and golden. It's the reality we find in the story of God. And so really what I'm longing for is that the Uh, that the outcome of this series is that you would find your life uh, in the good life, uh, the life you have now. That you could be encouraged. You would learn that the good life is actually something that we can enjoy, and we can enjoy it now in the life we have now. I think there's a great amount of encouragement, but we have to bring ourselves into the story and locate our lives in that story. So each week we're taking a different assumption about the good life and we're re-envisioning it in the story of God. And so last week took the assumption of source. And so we asked the question, who or what is the source of the good life? And we said, well, most of us think, well, we're the source of the good life. We're the source of our own lives. We're taught that. But what we learned, what we saw was these pictures in scripture of the spirit of God beating down rushing air on creation and God was breathing life into creation and then he was breathing life through a spirit into Nicodemus so God breathes life the spirit is the life giver who breathes life into creation and breathes life into human hearts and if we were saying that to enter into the good life we have to make this shift in our vision to begin to see that we're not the source of our own lives but the spirit of God is instead And if we take that on board, it changes everything. Uh, We don't have to generate our own lives. We can start responding to the Spirit's work in and around us. And so we just tried to sum it up with this idea of my spirit yielded to his spirit, that type of relationship with God. So that was last week. That was about source. Well, today we won't entirely leave that discussion, but we'll also re-envision authority to living the good life in the story of God. You know, who has the right to rule? And is there such a thing as a benevolent, loving, good authority? Now, it goes without saying that uh, in the cultural narrative, again, this idea of authority is actually something we resist. I think we're taught to want to be our own boss and to have financial independence or time independence. We want to be captain of our own lives captain of the ship, master of our own lives. Nobody wants to be under someone else's authority. And so that's why this teaching is so important this morning. So let's read John 15 verses 1 to 8, and you'll find that in your worship guide. So I'll ask you to turn to page 4, and we'll read at the moment just this John 15 passage. This is God's word. It is altogether true. It is given to you in love. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says in John 15, 1, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. 
You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. So John 15 is part of Jesus' farewell discourses when he's preparing the disciples for his death, resurrection, and ascension. And he's basically asking the question, how will you find life when I'm gone? And he's saying we need to talk about that, where your life will come from. And what you, we often find Jesus doing is seizing upon scenes from nature to teach spiritual truths. So likely here, Jesus and his disciples walk past an active vineyard. And I think the verse that helps us find our place in the story is verse 5. So we'll start with that. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So Jesus is using a metaphor here that for what the disciples' lives will be like. And what does he liken the disciples' lives to? He likens their lives to branches. Now, we're back to our discussion of the source of a good life, but think of a branch. A branch is really, is really a startling image if you think about it, because uh, if, the, if a branch is anything, a branch is not self-sufficient. You know, a lone branch can't produce anything. Jesus calling his disciples branches shows the dramatic degree to which their power is derived, because a branch has to be attached to, so, to something. So, in other words... If you take a branch, a branch is fundamentally unrooted. A branch is not sunk down into the soil. A branch has no life apart from being attached to the vine. Now, that nobody will tell you that in culture. Nobody will tell you that your life is fundamentally dependent and, de- and derived. Nobody will tell you that. And so we're told to be strong, and we're told to be self-made, men and women, and we're told to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And so what's startling, I think, about this is Jesus is saying, uh, you're a branch. And then he says, those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. So there's this remain in me, and I in them talk, and it comes twice. And so When we believe in Jesus, the Spirit is in us, and we are in Him. This is something we're going to try to get our heads around this morning, this idea of union with Christ. So I think this is really good news. So what do you think it means to be a Christian? A Christian is not assenting to a system of religious beliefs. 
Christianity is a person. You enter into a relationship with a person. And so the Bible's preferred way to describe what it is meant, what it means to be a Christian, is this phrase, in Christ. So either in Christ or in the Lord or in Him appears 164 times in the writings of Paul alone. And if you see the other passage in your worship guide, it's from John 1, 4, it says, in Him was life. So this is the description in John 1 of how creation came to be, and it, it's saying that the life is found in Christ. And at the bottom of your worship God, you see this, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So you've got this, this image of inness, and it's a beautiful image if you think about it, that the Savior has made room for you in Him. He wants to be vitally united to you. And He has a place for you uh, in His very being. We have this idea that we belong to Christ. How do we belong to Him? Well, we're, we're united to Christ, like a branch is united to the vine. And we have no life apart from Him. And so this idea of being hidden with Christ in God, you know, football season is starting, and I just recall that years ago there was this player on the Chicago Bears named William Perry, William Refrigerator Perry. And Refrigerator Perry played defensive line, but every now and then in goal line situations, they would put him in at fullback, and he would block for a much smaller running back who was trying to score. And I think it's a little bit like this, this notion of your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, Paul is saying our lives are hidden in Christ. We are clothed with his righteousness. We're protected in Christ. Our lives are secure in Christ, in that vital union as in a branch to the vine. So now I think we're ready to hear verse 1, which is really the heart of what we're going to look at this morning. So going back to verse 1, this helps us understand authority in the story of God. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine. So now it's another relationship. Uh, he is the grapevine, we are the branches. Now he is the true grapevine, and he says, my father is the gardener. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. So who's in charge of the garden? Now anybody would know that the gardener is in charge of the garden. And in a vineyard, I understand that if you were to walk past a vineyard in Jesus' day in Palestine, what would the gardener be doing? He'd be cutting off the dead branches and he'd be piling them up. And he'd also be cutting back the healthy branches, even the ones that had like little new growths on them or the ones that had a lot of foliage. And he'd be piling them up and there'd be little nubs and some of them probably look like they'd been butchered. And if we were to watch this, you and I might think, what a waste. All this good green foliage is now piled up by the side of the road. 
And it's the same type of reaction that we have to the same sort of pruning activity in our own lives. So something may get lopped off of your life, a job or a career, or you lose a loved one, or you give up a dream, or you have a blow to your self-esteem, or something doesn't go your way, and you're inclined to say, what a waste. And we're also inclined to say, where is God in all of this? Isn't God supposed to be blessing me? So why does the gardener prune? So in John 15, the, the point is fruit bearing. And I understand that in, a, that in a vineyard, the issue is that all the nutrients of an unpruned vine will pour into the leaves. And there won't be enough nutrients to pour into the grapes. So you have to lop off the foliage so that the nutrients will pour in and you get sweet, juicy grapes. Now, there's a paradox here, I think, and that's a word that I think helps us understand authority as it's described in this text. So a lot of times something will happen to us and it'll be severe and it'll be painful. And some of you are going through something severe and painful right now. And you will say, we will be tempted to say, God, get me out of this. Or God, how could this be ha- possibly be happening to me? I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. But the paradox is the way in which the father exercises his loving authority. You know, when you get a flu shot or some other inoculation, the shot hurts, right? Doesn't the shot hurt? But the doctor and your parents, when you were a kid, they let you endure that shot because they knew that shot was needed to protect you from harm. So we have to start to get in sort of a feeling for this notion of flourishing this notion of flourishing in the good life. So for starters, we have a grapevine and the fruit on the vine is not going to be a peach or an apricot. It's going to be grapes. It's the branch is going to bear fruit that reflects the DNA of the vine, right? And so if we're going to participate in the good life, first we have to sort of make peace with the fruit that our Savior wants to bear in our lives is His own life in us. Right? It's also true that flourishing under this scenario comes with a lot of deep, severe cuts. And that's counterintuitive. Again, when something painful happens, maybe you're in something painful now, we don't tend to say, wow, that's a sign that God is with me, that the Father is doing something important. We usually say, God, what gives? So I'll just tell you, um, I inherited holly bushes in the house I'm living in now. And when I, Lisa and I bought this house eight years ago, the holly bushes were enormous, but they were also hollow. You know, there was just a little rim of foliage right along the edges. 
And I sort of screwed up my courage. Uh, come on my house sometime. It's all in progress uh, still eight years later. But I screwed up my courage over the course of a few years. And first, I had these big hedge clippers. And I just started making deep cuts. The third year, I got out my saw. And I cut those holly bushes way down to the nub. And the neighbors were going, ooh, Nelson, you know. That looks pretty severe. I was going, hold on. And for 40, you know, 45 days or so, you have nothing. But then, uh, and you know, at this point, there's, you know, the thing that used to be like this, it's like down here. And there may be like six gray, gnarly stumps. But it, in about 45 days, you start seeing just tens of little sprigs that start popping out everywhere all this flourishing. And then the next year, each of those little sprigs that grows up, I lopped those off too with my little hand clippers. Lopped those off too, and each of those little sprigs gets three or four fresh little shoots. So the one branch, now about a year later, has 24 or 30, you know, little shoots. The point is flourishing. The only way to flourish, the point of the image is the only way to flourish is to undergo the pruning. And I think what we learn, uh, just like in understanding that the Spirit of God is the source, I think we learn to ask a different question when we begin to, in the midst of our unexpected and painful developments, when we begin to get this, this image. We start to ask, um, not God, how are you letting this happen to me, or God, get me out of this, but we ask instead, you know, God, what are you up to? Um, what are you up to? What would you, how are you giving me more intimacy with you? How are you showing me more of your beauty in the midst of this painful trial? So nobody in the suburban narrative is going to tell you it's good to be under authority. But living the good life in the story of God says that being under the loving Father's authority is the only way. And I think that this is really good news because this idea, I mean, do you not want to flourish? Do you want a false version of flourishing or do you want, you know, do you want a, a version that doesn't pan out in the end, a shadow version? Or do you want a version that will really give you the happy, fulfilled, good life? Well, verse 3, in verse 3, Jesus says, uh, you've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So what is this? Well, we know that soon Jesus' own life will be cut off so that resurrection would come in its place. And therefore, there too, people would say when Jesus was on the cross, they would say, what a waste. They would say when his life was being cut down, what a waste. And yet that open sore was the place where God was making a place for the salvation of the world. So then Jesus provides his own main takeaway in verse 4. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. What does it mean to remain? Well, the, some versions use this word abide, from which we get the word, which is taken from the word abode, which means to make your home in. 
So he's saying, make your home in me. Trust and depend on me. Make your home in me. And I will remain in you. And then he says, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it has been severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So I'm, I'm going to use an illustration to try to sort of sum up this teaching and maybe explain it. And some of you are going to see this. I'm going to use some concepts, and you're going to go, well, maybe, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's really what I want. And I said last week that Larry Crabb and, and a friend, David Dwight, have, have helped me in, in conversations with some of these things. But you may see this illustration, and, I'm, and you may say, well, I'm not really sure it completely works for me, but just really hang with me for a moment. So I'm going to put something up on the board. Now, we're, I would suggest to you that... I would suggest to you that religiously there, there are really three ways that we could respond to Jesus' message. One way, and this is taking you back to geometry, geometry class, but one way would just be the one-dimensional. Uh, it's a straight line here. So, you know, you can stand near a line, but that's really as close as you can get to a line. Another option would be this, and this is a plane. Now you've got some spatial relations, and a plane is two dimensions, and there's more space, and it's flat, and so you really could actually get up onto the plane, but that really is where things end. So a third possibility in terms of the dimensions is that you could have this, right? And you could have a cube, and for the very first time, you have the opportunity to go inside. Because a cube has depth, and we have the capacity to go in. So, let's take this a little farther. So let's draw our line again. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the one dimension is what maybe people that, maybe some of you here today and maybe some of you people around you might be called um, somebody who considers themselves spiritual. A lot of people say, well, I'm spiritual. Okay? So if you're spiritual then you deal in the world of abstractions and it is self-crafted you know you have a god concept but your god this is where people would say things like well you know my god my god would do this you know you or my god wouldn't do this it's self-crafted. So I'm still the source of my life. Uh, I'm still the source. And it's also true that I'm in charge because 
I'm my own authority, so we'll put that I'm in charge, because it all depends on my God concept. And in fact, when things go, when things are difficult, you just say, well, where can I get another concept of God? So I'll say, where get another concept? So there are lots of concepts. There are lots of concepts for God out there. There are lots of concepts for God, and a lot of people, you know, just sort of pick and choose and craft it the way they wish. And I'll say that this spiritual, the spiritual version is part of the suburban narrative. So I'll just, just do F-U-B slash good life. The suburban narrative of the good life. Well, so some of you are saying, ah, uh, well, maybe, I'm not quite sure. Not really working for me, Nelson. But anyway, just hang with, hang with that for just a moment. So let's go on to, to one more possibility. Uh, the next possibility, as we said, is, you know, what we said was a plane. And for this person, I will say, this is the person who approaches their spirituality in an habitual way. And so you might say, well, this person has lots of religious practices. And this is probably, you know, somebody who finds him or herself in church a whole lot. You've got religious practices here. But the religious practices are sort of formed on self-made agreements. Self-made agreements. And again, because... Their self-made agreements. Now, this this one's a little hard because this is people who've had an opportunity to learn about God and really to follow His way. But the whole system of approval and merit really is something that you still control, and so you're really still the source, the source of your own life. You know, I'm the source, and you're you're still in charge. So I'm the source and I'm in charge. And when something difficult happens, the question that the habitual person asks is, God, how could you let this happen to me? Or God, get me out of this. Right? When something difficult happens, how could you let this happen? How could you let happen or God get me out? And this is still the, I'll put S-U-B narrative for the good life. It's still the suburban narrative because it's still linear. It's still how can I achieve, how can I climb to a place where I have a life that I can feel good about and be proud of, and I'm going to co-opt God into that plan, Right? So some of you are going, still, Nelson, yeah, maybe. So let's try one more time. So the last is the three-dimensional
And we're going to call this the yielded life. This is the yielded life. And the yielded life is built not on practices or self-made agreements, but it's built on relationship. It's built on the living connection to the vine. And your concept of God here is God for who he says he is. So God for who he says he is. So when something difficult happens, you're not changing your view or your concept of God. You're holding to your trust in God and staying with God in the way he says he is. So under this scenario, God is the source of your life. And God is in charge. And under this scenario, the yielded life, I want what he wants. So the problem about going about the father's loving initiative in the pruning is that we want what we want. But what's happening under this scenario of the yielded life where you go in Christ is you begin to want what he wants. And the question that we ask when things get hard is, God, what are you up to? Maybe you're teaching me something about your beauty and you're inviting me to more intimacy. And we're saying that this is more the scenario that Jesus is teaching in John 15. So we're calling it the story of God, good life. All of you might not be able to to see everything that's up there. But the point is this. You know, many of us are either living or know about the one-dimensional or the two-dimensional where we call the shots. But the three-dimensional is where we enjoy union with Christ and we grow to trust the Father's loving authority. And that is very good news. So... Some of you, again, may be going through difficult things right now. And if you are, take heart and look for ways your father is giving you the good life. He's teaching you to ask, what is he up to? And he's giving us intimacy and showing his beauty, showing us his beauty, which is what we want most. Let's pray. Father, so many of us uh, live with this uh, undercurrent of disappointment, uh, even in our Christian lives. And so we long that we would be able to discern 
some of the mysteries. That we would learn that you are safe and that we can trust you. And that your authority is a loving authority and your gifts are good gifts. Not in somebody else's life, but in the lives that you've given us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.